Hello and welcome to the very first full-length episode of Broadcast and it is quite apt that we're launching this podcast today, the 21st of September, 228 years since the Battle of the Diamond and the creation of the Orange Order as we know it today. And it's no coincidence that we're kicking things off discussing why we're orange men, so every member will have their own reason for joining, but it's not really something that's ever properly discussed. And the media can often misrepresent this a bit and put words in our mouths as to why we're even in the orange in the first place. And ultimately, people might not just be getting the full story. So an interesting first off lined up. Uh, we hope you like it. So a good place to start, obviously, is how did you actually get into the orange? I know for personally it was a family connection like many things in life you, you're brought along to it as a kid and then you grew up in it and you decide when you're a bit older oh I'll keep this on this is pretty good crack um so how did how did you get into it for me it was similar yeah it was a, a family thing uh, my father was a member and likewise was was brought along and involved from a very young age um and I have to say it was, it was captivating for me as a child and something that I always took a, an interest in um, and felt the connection to and yeah, that's really where it started for me. I, I think for me, it was it was quite different. It was maybe the opposite of that even, where I, I did have family in the Orange, but for, for a long time, I sort of resisted it. I, I didn't really see the appeal in the Orange Order. Um, and then I suppose in more recent years, um, I've maybe been more exposed to different elements within the Orange Order and, and I have seen the appeal. And then it has been something that I've wanted to, to be a part of. Coming back to that original point that I think a lot of people would maybe see it as a negative that people are in the orange because it's just because their family was in it. The biggest thing that you ever hear is like you're only you're only in that because like your dad was in it or your granda was in it. But how, how would how would you come back on that? Like I would say that like a lot of things, you if you're brought up around it, of course, you're going to be like naturally you're going to be interested or in and around it but I think the, the difference is when you're transitioning obviously students and adults we are but like it's not like we got to 18 and we're like oh I'll just keep going to that because oh my dad was in it like it's, it's especially in today's world it's far too inconvenient <laughs> to like actually want to do anything like that just of your own volition and go out because there's so many other options to get it back you know i think there's the perception back in the olden days there wasn't really much to do you just go to a lodge meeting to actually see people and things but you don't have to do that now so i think that doesn't really add up but what do you think well i think if that you took a poll amongst orangemen i would say that's probably the most cited reason as to why they became members was the generational link but it's not why they stayed i think yeah that's the thing. yeah, yeah. It, it's maybe why but it's not necessarily a justification if you could separate those two things out um because as as you rightly say, you could join anything because your father was a member. You could join the local cricket club because your father was a member. It's not necessarily a unique selling point for Orangeism. In a way, it's maybe not surprising that there's this sort of family link because I think if, if you look at the Orange Institution and especially at private lodges, it, it, it is such a family setup. Basically, you know, there's there's a real sort of respect for, for your elders. And each, each lodge, you know, you look up to the older men, regardless of whether they maybe hold office or not, that there's just such a respect instilled um, and everybody does sort of look up to those before them. So it's probably not really surprising that that, that sort of family model um, is, is represented within the Orange and therefore the family links outside of it feed in again. 
But I think I think you'd have hit on something important in terms of it can be frustrating at times, you know, if it's the twelfth program uh, on the BBC or whatever, and somebody's asked why they've why they're a member and they trot out this line when my father was a member. It's not really as I suppose it, it potentially doesn't draw out all those good things that the orange does do, um, and why members get value. But I do think. The generational thing is important in saying that, and uh, you know, it it does give people a connection not only with current family members but also that generational link going back, uh, that lineage, and the values of the orange and the history of the orange um, are are often intervo- interwoven with with that family heritage, and I do think you know that that is important. And I think there is something special about that. It's interesting that you say that about the the. Like it's it's the line that's trotted out. I would say that it's an or- nearly historically maybe it is the the answer. Like why did you join? Because you know you were brought along. But it just it do- and, and it's an easy sound bite. But it just doesn't really get into the reason why you're still in it. Because you're not just fo- like you're not just following your dad to it. Especially if you're like seventy and you're in the lodge, you're definitely not just following your dad to it. So why why do you stay in it? And it is that it's the bigger family aspect as well where you're not just you've got your family you know vertically i suppose but then also horizontally the people around you like in that lodge that you've obviously come you've grown up with at that point and that they are your mates and and all that sort of thing and you can get around and do a lot of a lot of interesting things because it's not the the events as such it's it's not like a cricket club in that you're out there doing i hate cricket uh any any other sport like a football club um that like you know you're you're going to matches and you're you're staying fit and you know you've got a goal there to you know go three legs and everything like that it's it's a lot more varied than that and probably more so than people maybe realize with the 12th and everything like that it's it's there's 365 days in a year there's not just as much as maybe we'd like it to be the 12th every day it's it's just not yeah i think that there was a really important point was sort of touched on there and it's, it's really connection um, and for me personally, you know, I don't have any family in, in my lodge, um, blood relatives, etc. But for me, it's a way of sort of connecting with my local area um, and essentially becoming a part of that community. And I think a, a phrase that you often hear is, you know, that the, the Orange Institution is greater than the sum of its parts. And I think that, that's very true. It is, it is nice to be a part of something bigger. Um, I know certainly... Uh, drawn on my own experience, my my first parade out with the lodge was a, a mini twelve, um, and I remember walking down the street feeling about nine foot tall, and it wasn't a triumphalist thing. It wasn't a case of this is my town or whatever. It was a case of looking around and saying these are men that I want to be associated with, and I'm I'm proud to be associated with them, um, and to be connected to this this community. Yeah, I think that's a, a fantastic point. So, so you made an important point there about family in the sense of Orangeism isn't just literal family, um, because the Orange institution is itself considered a family, and you know that has been a real cornerstone of the institution right from its inception. And because somebody doesn't have a relation, um, in in the Orange institution, it shouldn't dissuade them from joining. But it is a fraternity, um, and and it does connect individuals who who want to help each other. Uh, based on those values and you know very boringly I was in a graveyard in uh, Downpatrick area recently and I seen a headstone that was donated by the local um, Orange Lodge and I suppose in those early days what we seen was 
if there was a member of the Orient institution who couldn't afford a funeral or couldn't afford a burial plot, so on and so forth, that the members of the lodge would club together um, and pay for that. And it's really that benevolence, you know, that, that sense of family there. Um, so we still see aspects of that within Orangeism today. You know, we can think of the Lord Enniskillen uh, Memorial Orange Orphans Society. Uh, we can also think of some of the educational grant and grants and bursaries which are available to people. And for me, that's also a really important part of how family uh, is critical and, and crucial to Orangeism. It's interesting that there's a lot of, I would say rallying is a lot of like rallying around people is a massive thing in the Orange. Like we're sitting in Bestbrook at the minute in their Orange Hall and like even on the lights there's uh, a plaque that's the, the, like and dedicated to someone and also the fact that the, the brethren of the Orange Hall went together and they put the lights, the electric lights in the 30s into this hall. There's numerous plaques as well in, in memory of different people and all, all the things that they've done. But it, it, if we go even more recent than that, there was uh, a group of orange men that uh, climbed Kilimanjaro as it raised massive amounts of money for charity. And that's happening all up and down the country. You just have to go into Google and Google like Orange Order and charity and the amount of money raised in that way. And it's it is just, it's just ordinary people in lodges rallying around and the, the Orange is such a vehicle for that in that you've got a lot of like-minded individuals that you can just tap into their, you know, the Christian charitable nature of that is sensational. If you were to go out uh, tomorrow and say, right, I'm going to start a GoFundMe or whatever, and I'm going to raise money for like the Northern Ireland Air Ambulance, like where would you even start? But as orange men, we already have tapped into our private lodges. Maybe, you know, you've got 10 to 30 people there. Beyond that, your district then, there's hundreds. And some will have thousands. And you're going right around the country. You've got a massive movement there. And there's you even have to ask one person to ask their friend or ask someone in their lodge and ask their family. And the network that you immediately tap into there is incredible. And the amount of money that you can raise for charity is, we've, it's demonstrated, it's been sensational. But I think that's a big essence of the orange and the at, at the crux of that there is this idea that there's just a, a family nature to it and of course people are joining because they're in the family but it's also they stay because they want to remain in that family and they want to have that connection and that support yeah so pe- perhaps people join because of the the link to their nuclear family mm-hmm. but as you say they stay to be part of that bigger family that community family and i think that's really really important yeah, I think that that networking issue is, is really strong. You know, I I often have looked from the outside in and, and you see this potential for a network. And in some in some situations, it maybe doesn't live up to that potential. But certainly in, in charity and, and other benevolent things, you know, it, it really, really does. Um, it's extremely strong in that. We've talked about how you got into the orange, but and and sort of we're we're leaning into like why you've stayed. But what for you are the most important parts of being an orange man, being in the orange? For me, it's the values that the orange represents, and and to me, they're very clearly in three categories, um, or three pillars of orangeism. You know that you have the faith, which I have to say for me is the most important dimension. Um, then there's the history and culture. And then there's that constitutional dimension uh, whereby we, we want to maintain our link with uh, Great Britain and our place within the United Kingdom. 
And I think that's a very, very potent mix. Um, you look at cultures around the world and they're built on those three things. And I think for an institution uh, or an organization to encapsulate those things, uh, make it a very, very strong um, community vehicle and something that isn't just a lobby group. It becomes a way of life for me anyway. Yeah, I think I think one of the interesting things about the Orange Institution and something which is probably misrepresented a lot of the time is that it's it's a very, very broad church. Um, and we can look at any of those sort of pillars and sort of see how it becomes a broad church. You know, you could look at the faith aspect. So on one hand, you could have, you know, born again Christians. On the other hand, you could have people who, you know, the Orange is maybe as far as they go in terms of religion, you know, maybe what, what they hear in a lodge meeting or whatever similar with with the politics side you know you would expect everyone basically within the orange family to be a unionist but but there will certainly be be differing shades of unionism within that and it's it's important that they all work together you know towards one common goal but obviously people will have differences and it's it's how the orange as a family as an institution maybe overcomes some of those differences and and tries to draw on the things that, that will unite us ultimately. For me, and I think for all of us here, the faith aspect is the most important one and it's near. If you have the faith, then the, the culture and everything like that, that'll follow suit. But a lot of people would criticise the Orange for mixing religion with politics and that in consequence being damaging to the faith. Or is it the other way around that politics just, the politics or the religion just aren't suitable for this day and age i think that's quite a i i understand to some extent where that view has came from but i do think it's quite convoluted i don't think anybody has intentionally set out to marry the two together i think that has been a natural consequence of the challenges challenges uh, that we have faced as a as a people here um in, in this part of the world um and and you know historically obviously the work connected let's think of the ulster covenant for example the the roots of the ulster covenant lay in the national covenant of the scottish covenanters um which were obviously our forefathers um and there as both we see encapsulated that the how politics and religion became married and, and not through choice um but through consequence so you know, that was a very much a political movement, the Home Rule movement, uh, or anti-Home Rule movement, as it was in the, in the case of Free Unionism. But really, that was a bulwark against the threat of losing their religious liberties. So there's a prime example how historically the two have been married, not through choice, as I say, but through consequence. I suppose in, in very, very, very simple terms, you can take this sort of view of, you know, Protestant equals Unionist, Catholic equals Nationalist. It's not really the case nowadays, but, you know, it does show how the, there's these obvious links um, and how the two marry together. Definitely. And even at the origins of it, the whole point of, you know, the Battle of the Boy in 1690, all those things, it's civil and religious liberties for all. And once you marry those two, th- like it's it's been wedded since the start. It's not uh, it's not been a case of that we've set out on this faith based path and said, here, oh, we'll we'll bring in unionism and everything like that that'll make us a broader church for for more people to get in the door it's just been that natural consequence and staying amongst that i mean staying in the orange and 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 being exposed to all these things you get to more know more about what you believe and why you believe it 
and th- that marries in I think quite well to the the politics side of it as well. But it, it's it, it's important to note as well that the Orange doesn't technically any more side with one unionist party, which again sort of shows a bit of. I I would say it shows that it isn't really all about the politics in that way, in that we're happy for everyone to have their own thoughts, opinions, and with it, because especially today, it used to be that unionism was fairly straightforward and that it was maybe, you know, you had one party that that you sort of went with. I mean, back in the day, it would have been the Ulster Unionists for the longest time. And I believe the Orange was technically associated with them for the longest time. But now, obviously, we have, you know, UUP, DUP, TUV, all these traditional, you know, unionist parties. And you can be a member of any of them. You don't have to be a member of any of them. And again, there's many people that don't side with any of them that are in the orange that call themselves unionists that, you know, that go forward in that. I think in today's day and age, it's probably more useful to consider the, the orange as having a constitutional interest rather than a political interest um, because of what you've, you've just highlighted. Um, but the other point to go back to is, you know, just because... We are Protestant and Unionist. It's not absolutism. We don't say that everybody has to be a Protestant and a Unionist. If somebody is a Catholic Unionist, well then there's a common common purpose there to a certain degree. But it's not trying to say, um, because this is how we are, that is how you should be. Yeah, I think think it's, it's strange too, because I think most people looking from the outside in would probably assume that the Orange Order is much more political than it actually is. Um, and even if you were to say go online and look at some of the information that that is freely available, you know you would start to realise that that there's much more emphasis on on the religious aspects within the Orange Institution, you know, and it it, it is something that, that's really really pushed. And I have to say, it, it probably even surprised me um, how much emphasis there is on the religious aspect. I thought there would have been a bit more of a an equal split between the pillars, but I think it's quite clear that the religious aspect would be the the biggest aspect within the institution. I think fundamentally the role of the Orange is to protect and promote the the Protestant Reformed faith and the the adherence of it. Um, And I think that the the religion is the bedrock from which all all other things are built. Um, And that's the priority. Uh, for us, you know, and because it's the thing that, that we place our hope in because other aspects come and go and they change and things develop and evolve, whereas we believe that our faith um, is unchanging and is, that's where our, confident, our confidence rests, you know. Yeah, I've had, you had on earlier an interesting uh, idea that, you know, when you're, the whole idea is saying more, this is what we are, but not saying this is what you should be. And I think there is a massive perception that when an Orange Lodge is walking down the street that it is triumphalism or it's some form of this is the way that society should be and what we are. How, how would you answer that if someone told, if someone obviously comes to you with the opinion and it's all online, you see it all the time, that's triumphant, triumphalism. That's a hard word. Easier to type on Twitter. Um, what would you? How would you respond to that? Well, it's fundamentally about civil and religious liberty. And obviously the 12th of July, that's what it's a celebration of. That's what it was a victory for and and what it secured. And that's not just a buzzword. That still applies today. And whilst we very much demand the right, and I have to say demand the right because it's it's a human right, that we should have the space to celebrate our culture freely. We also therefore say 
that others have the right to celebrate their culture freely. And nobody owns the public square. That's what makes it the public square. So therefore, we as orange men have as much right as anybody else to demonstrate our values and our belief system and our way of life within that space. It would be unfair to say that there aren't those within the Orange Institution who are triumphalist. You know, we've seen examples of it over the years, but I don't think it would be fair to tar everyone with the same brush or, or to say that that is something that is taught by the institution or or even supported by the institution. Um, obviously, things are kept confidential and, and there's good reasons for that, but I would imagine that where there has been, you know, episodes of triumphalism that has been dealt with by the institution. Um, and it's certainly not something to be encouraged. I think people forget when they see the orange men walking down the street is that they're all people. They're all very normal people and they're all people that they don't do that every day. They're not, uh, although yes, they will take the sash off on the 13th and hopefully swap it for a black collar at then. But then the 14th, they're back to work and back to their lives. I think people maybe forget that. Absolutely. And, and what I would say is that the values that I have day to day when I'm not wearing a collarette, when I'm in the workplace, when I'm engaging with people from all backgrounds and traditions are, are certainly not at odds with the values that I espouse when I put an orange collarette on. In fact, the two marry. I'm an orange man every day. And again, it taps into this idea about it being a way of life. And I feel that the orange institution primarily laid down in the qualifications of an orange man give me a very good framework for living out my orangeism day to day and set a very high bar and a very high standard that I have to be honest and say I don't always attain. I don't think any of us can, if we're being truthful, could say that we always meet that standard. But it, it certainly helps give me um, standards to strive to in my day to day life. So just quickly then, like, why would you say you're still a member? Well, I think that the Orange gives us a voice. Um, and in Northern Ireland, in, in the, you know, the context in which we find ourselves, it can be difficult sometimes to feel heard in regards to these constitutional and cultural heritage issues. And I feel that being a part of this bigger movement allows my views to be better reflected uh, in, in the public square than what it would be if I was simply voicing them as an individual. So we've sort of we've obviously touched upon you know a lot of reasons why you'd still be an orange man, why you'd join. But looking more to the future of the orange, what do you think that it is capable of? I have to say, when I look at the community around me, um, I do see huge need. I do see um, significant challenges in relation to a suite of issues, um, educationally, politically, so on, so forth. And I personally feel the Orange Order throughout history has played this role of being the, the glue of the community. Um, and I really feel that the Orange has so much more to offer in terms of improving our community, developing our community um, and essentially helping them along. Um, and it's really that vehicle for community change that I think that the Orange, um, that's the role of the Orange going forward. I suppose sometimes I look at it um and as I mentioned earlier, you know, th there's this potential for, for a huge network. Um, and I think I think moving forward, you know, really that the Orange as an institution needs to live up to that potential and potentially take a, a slightly stronger stance on on some issues. Um, maybe as, as they, they used to do in, in the past, 
with more association with with political groupings and and so forth. And obviously that is different because, as we mentioned, you know, while faith has remained the same, politics has moved on, it's diversified, it's branched out. So it's very difficult for the Orange Order to to take a a broad brush approach there. But I think at times it it needs to just move forward a bit more there and and, and be stronger and and represent its, its membership. I wouldn't disagree with what you've said there, but what I do, I suppose my focus will be slightly different. And, you know, from small acorns grow big oak trees. And I think that the role of the Orange should really be to develop the community at the, at the very, I suppose, basic level. Um, because we've touched on that network. The Orange Institution exists in every corner of this country. And I think that if it was working, and it is working, but if it continues to work for the betterment of local people, I believe that we will see those outcomes then um, long term and down the line. But I really think going forward, the, the focus of the institution should be trying to better equip the, the Protestant community for the challenges that, w- that will exist going forward. Yeah, I think the, the orange is, as itself, it, it is and it needs to be less about the Orange Order, as in the Orange Institution, the the grand, massive organisation, and more about the community level lodges, just the, the people that are down the road from you, the people that are in those halls, and what they can do for, the again, the people around the halls, um, and not necessarily in them. There's a massive potential that you see up and down the country yes you do have to maybe go looking for it a little bit more because it is like it's not going to be in the bbc news what a local uh lodge is doing but there is so much going on from from daycares for for parents to uh gcse tutoring that's happening around the country um you know affecting uh obviously younger people and then there's credit unions as well which are a massive part um of communities too and all these things um are happening around in these lodges and that should be the sole focus i think and i think we have to be honest and say that the orange is doing great community work it's not to say that they're not but i think it's about looking at how that can develop and evolve as we go forward that's all that's ultimately the massive positive of the orange and yes the the 12th's great and uh the the marching season's great and everything but it's it's that is nearly that's maybe the public facing uh perspective of that's where everyone sort of gets the chance to look and you know, the spectacle and the pageantry and everything which is it's great but what goes on the rest of the year in those halls is that's the major force for change personally i'm very confident about the future of the orange institution yeah no i i have to agree certainly as, as someone who hasn't been in the institution for a long time um, I, I look forward to continuing within the institution and, and moving forward in the institution. Yeah, and look, it's not to say that there isn't going to be challenges uh, that are going to face it. And they, it feels like they come every every year. There's a massive challenge to even our just existence. But I mean, we've been around that long. Like what's like 300 odd years? What there's there's nothing really that we haven't faced before. There will be there will be new challenges, but I think it and it is that. It's the basis that it all comes back to that community, the family spirit of it all, that they're just it's just gonna keep it going on for generations to come because it is fundamentally a very positive force for change. Hi, so that just about wraps up our first full-length episode, but there's a lot more to come over the next few weeks, so make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. 
and give us a follow on Facebook at Broadcast Pod and on Twitter at Broadcast underscore pod. And I thought I'd just dip in at the end of our very first episode for clarity's sake, just to say that, look, we're three very ordinary orange men. Everything you're hearing is just our opinion and not necessarily that of every orange man or certainly not the orange institution itself. We're not official. We're not mandated in any way. We're just here to shed some light on grassroots orangeism, really, and the best of what our culture has to offer. So stay tuned. There's a lot more to come and we'll see you next time.